Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturgis. This week, we finished a series last Sunday, and still sort of stuck in the fragrance of the overflow of that, about the presence of the Lord going forward with us. And just throughout this week, without taking the time to go into that, some questions were asked about facing the complexities of life that don't make sense. Um, and, and quoted was Romans chapter 9, verses like 11 through 15. And what's there in those passages, one of the most complex and endlessly debated passages of Scripture for which there appears to be no final resolution. Amanda, if you have those handy and can put them up. Let me see how many of those I gave you. Uh, 14 through 16, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 9. Look here with me. You're going to hear this. I just feel the need to sort of sprinkle the moment. I'm going to keep doing it over with this. You don't have to worry. And don't you be afraid. Somebody hear that this morning. Because there is going to be a morning that will have joy. And these troubles, they won't last always. Okay, you receive that. You're going to see that here. Romans chapter 9, verse 14. What shall we say then? There is no, there is no injustice with God, is there? It's a rhetorical question. May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Now, I'm not going to do what I would typically do, and that would be to dive in it, take it apart, and and sort of do a full walk around on the various positions. Again, there is no, probably no single more debated passage of Scripture than this one. For at least 500 years, two major schools of historical Christian thought, Calvinism and Arminianism, they gather around the campfire of these verses to do wonderful battle. On and on, okay? That's not why we're coming here. Because Romans 8, for me, paints the backdrop. We stand before a timeless, spaceless God, okay? Look this way, please. Everybody understand that space and time and matter what makes up whatever existential reality is. They are inside of God. They are not out here, and God has to work around them. We will never wrap our heads around that. I mention that almost every week because that is sort of the incomprehension we come up. We live in time and space. And we keep, we keep trying to reduce God to terms we can understand. And that's okay with God because that's what the Bible is full of. The next guy trying to give us the next picture. And that's why there's so many different ones because you have to sort of pull them all together and their wonderful sense of a, a mosaic, pieces of a puzzle, and shift them together and then back away and get a glimpse of what that's about. And it's an amazing thing. It just keeps expanding and keeps going. So here we have this. But the problem is very often we don't go back to the passage of Scripture because Paul says, for as Moses said. Well, it would be good then to go back and see where Moses said it. Let's see where Moses said it. It's at the, sort, at the end of the book of Exodus, which we've discovered recently, from chapter 12 through chapter 40, covers a period of one year. The first year out of captivity, God's getting them sort of set. Um, I, I mentioned to you last week, the week before, a pastor had asked, how would you label the book of Exodus? And I, he says, you know, just in brief statements. And I, and I said, well, I have several, but one would be, Exodus could be labeled, how many ways can we make God mad in one year? I mean, because just at every turn, these Israelites coming out of captivity are doing dumb stuff. 
How many, how many are thankful that the Israelites got there before you did? Okay? Because we could say the same things, you know? How many ways can we make God... Now, I, I'm a, I, a joke popped into my sort of ADD brain sector over here that you will not get if you're under 50 years old. And it was just a little pop in my head that I began to assemble some thoughts over the top of the tune of, was it... Um, Paul Simon, I think, Simon and Garfunkel, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lovers. Now, this will let you know. You say, dude, I, I was tracking with you thinking you were really in touch with God, and you just let me know just how terribly carnal and fleshly you are. Well, no, it's a spiritual thing. I think God's laughing right now because I've, I'm running a song, 100 Ways to Make God Mad, over the top of the tune, 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover. I'm going to go home and write that. I think God will be pleased with it <clears throat> because I think we have more than 100 ways that we can maybe exhaust within a week. Exodus chapter 32 at the end, Exodus 32 is where Moses goes on the mountain the first time to get the plans for the tabernacle and worship because God said, I'm, the first thing we need to do, and everyone listen, the first thing we need to do when you bring them out of 400 years of captivity is bring them to this mountain. This mountain was Horeb to worship. And I've said for quite some time, please hear me. The first experience a person breaking free from captivity needs to have, according to God, God said, bring them out 400 years of bondage. The thing that breaks captivity is worship. The thing that breaks bondage is worship. You see, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Why do you think Jesus showed up, met the woman at the well and said, let me tell you what worship is. Worship is is coming to the Lord in spirit and in truth. Why? The effect of that will be, I will be set free. Worship is that engaged dynamic that moves us just beyond the edges of our comprehension, irrespective of the complexities of life. Now, back on point with this, we tend to intersect with the most complex moments and the most difficult moments of our life, where there's sickness, illness, death, dying, divorce, famine, war, all the things listed in in Romans chapter 8 and beyond, and we step up. And in those moments of incredible mental, psychological, and emotional turmoil, it's in those moments that we seek to reduce God to the lowest common denominator of our own comprehension. And the tragedy, the tragedy of that, beloved, is we'll always miss it. Because it ends up with, if God is, then why? And why God did this? And let me tell you, those answers are never finally resolved in Scripture. What he does say is we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And there's the good news that does go back to this passage. So in Exodus 32, Moses is on the mountain. They are making a golden calf, they being the Israelites. God looks over Moses' shoulder and said, hey, uh, they're down there worshiping idol gods. They've just lost their minds. See if you can go fix that. Moses goes down and some, read Exodus 32, and, and you'll see that. But towards the end of it, look at verses 34. <clears throat> God's speaking to Moses, and he says, But now go, go now. Lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel. Notice he says, the people. Everybody say, the people. Okay. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day uh, when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Now moving right into verse 1 of the next chapter, unbroken. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, depart from here, you and the people whom you have brought up. Now, anybody, anybody here have children? Anybody here have children where you're talking about your children? Anybody here have 
children and you're talking about your children and your children are currently doing the fulfillment of what I mentioned a moment ago, they're exploring all the hundred ways they can possibly make you mad in less than a year. Okay? And they're now on number 99 and you're only at the end of the second month. And you will turn and say, if there were two parents, my wife's right here on the front row because we've done this very thing reciprocally at moments of utter incomprehensibility as the two only sane people in our home are examining the other two insane people that clearly have no comprehension of life, reality, or the purpose for which they are here on the planet. And these words come out. Now I want you to picture Moses, God talking to Moses. You notice he said, the people in verse 35, previous chapter. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out up from the land of Egypt. Prior to this, over and over, he's very clear that he says, I brought you out. I will bring. He owns that. And he gets upset if anybody else tries to own it. Previous chapter, he said, they're worshiping the golden calf. And they're saying, that's who brought us up out of you. But God said, I'm the one that brought you out. You came out by the lamb. You're going to enter by the lamb of God. We studied that weeks past. But here God sort of changes. Most. Your kids. Those aren't mine. Now watch the conversation that goes on here. The people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Now, again, every parent here can laugh at that because you have a moment when you think you're the only sane person. And clearly the problem is is your children. They're not mine. My children, I'm confident, would act better than that. So verse 2, I will send an angel before you. I will drive you out. Of the uh, uh, drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. Those are all the people living in the promised land. He said, I'm going to drive them all out. He says, you go on up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you're an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. I want you to hear again parents talking. Um, you need to go do something with your children. They've used up the last bit of grace and mercy, important word here, that I have. So go talk to them because if I do, I'm going to kill them and tell God they died. (laughs) They're going to be done. So wherever they're going in life, just go on ahead. Now, what's amazing is the grace that seems to fall respectively uh, at at critical moments because we fortunately in nearly for what will be 40 years of marriage this August, we have never both been at that same point at the same time. And my children are grateful for that. My children are breathing today because of that. Isn't it wonderful how God enters a marriage and says, I, I will never, I will never allow you both to be in that point of incomprehensible emotional devastation at the same time. If you're a parent, just take it, watch, do, do some old time Pentecostal like I grew up. Right now, even if you had a white handkerchief, it'd be better. But you need to, if your parents right here, you need to just take that hand and say, thank you, Jesus. Shake your head like that. Okay, amen. Right there. See, you know. And if your children are with you, you can look over them and say, thank you, Jesus. You know. <clears throat> You ever heard that? Riding in the back seat of the car, they're losing their mind. I look over my shoulder, nearly run off the road. This is before texting was the primary reason for which you'd swerve from lanes. Children have been there long before text messages. You look up back and you say, don't make me come back there. That's what God's saying. Don't. Go on. They're your kids. I don't even know them. He says, I won't go up in your midst when the people heard this sad word. They went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, 
say to the sons of Israel, by the way, I got to keep, I didn't think this was going to take this long. I've never told this story. Marine Corps boot camp. I found out, we all found out, everybody who's been in boot camp, who here's ever been in the Marine Corps, gone through boot camp? Okay. We all found out after the fact, here's what you find out. Every senior drill instructor disappears about halfway through the 13 week cycle and it's just a rest for him. But you don't know that. See, the the senior drill instructor, then there's either two or three more drill instructors. They are the demons from hell, the three other ones. The senior drill instructor is sort of the gracious God that's going to save you from those three, who steps in between. And this is an orchestrated dance that happens for 13 weeks where you're sucked in to something just sort of the Stockholm Syndrome, which if you don't know, you can Google that real quick. And that's where people held captive by people who want to take them captive and abuse them, begin to develop affection for them. It is a twisted, sick sense of what they do to you over that time. And and all of a sudden he disappears. And what they say is the senior drill instructor is gone. He is not here to save you. You have finally used up every bit of his grace. And and every platoon is it's not true. They do it. Everyone. And you don't know that until after boot camp's over. You don't tell people that, you know, even after you go through it, all the young men I know that's gone through it, I won't tell that secret. I want them to suffer just like I did. They still do it. And halfway through it, you, don't, you, he's gone. And it's like, oh, God, please come back. Okay? That's what's going on right here. Tell those people I'm not going. Because if I, if I come over there, I'm just over them. I'm gone. Okay? Now, for the Lord said to Moses... Verse 4, when they heard this, they were sad. For the Lord said to Moses, say to the sons of Israel, you're an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment? I would destroy you. Now, therefore, put off your ornaments. That's the gold that he gave them, by the way, that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves. By the way, parents, remember that as a great point of disciplinary torture. The early threat of discipline and then delay the actual engagement of that as long as possible. That will buy you guaranteed reprieve because they're living in absolute terror and trauma of the unexpected. When I would look at my son or my daughter, say, okay, when we get home, now we're still going to be going out for eight hours. But they were good for the next eight hours because they were living in abject fear. They were quiet, ordered, everything, because they didn't want to add to whatever they thought might be coming. And what they all thought was always worse than what was going to happen. But that's okay. I let them enjoy the terror. I enjoyed the reprieve, okay? There's free parenting. You may want to come to one of my classes or not. You may report me at the end of it to Department of Children's Services. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb forward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp. He called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Let me see if I can skip ahead here real quickly. Uh, Verse 11 says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Verse 12, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say, bring up this people. You say to me, bring up this people. But listen to two parents talking here. That's how well God said he's my friend. When, uh, but you yourself have not let me know who you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name and you have also found favor in my sight. Therefore, I pray you. Now, what happens here? Therefore, I pray you, hang with me here. If I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you so that I might find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. Notice the subtleties of this prayer. He becomes an intervening force. Again, think of the marriage couples. At some moment, one or other is intervening on behalf of the children. Don't do that. 
that, okay, that we're going to be okay here. You're going to recover. I'm so glad that God gives that grace to each and each couple at each moment to save us from our own insanity. Isn't that wonderful? Say amen. Now, uh, verse, uh, verse 14, my presence shall go with you. Notice what he says. He says, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. And there's, he's saying you on purpose. There's an emphasis there. You're going to see Moses' response in the next, because he knows he's saying you. Again, back to the marriage couple. There's that moment of absolute desperation. When insanity has hit the home and you're looking around and you look at her and say, I love you. I'm here for you. Can we just pretend they never came into the world for a while? Anybody ever been there? Okay. You say, oh, that's terrible. No, you've all been there. You've been there. If you're a parent, you've been there. Can we just pretend this is us? God says to Moses, I'll go with you. I'm not having nothing to do with them. Okay, watch what Moses said. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't lead us up from here. Watch the conversation. For how can it be known that I have found favor in your sight and, if you're, and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we... I and your people. Notice how he clears it up. Listen, he says, us, I'm talking about us, not us, us, but them and me, us, right? May be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I'll also do this thing which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight and have known you by your name. Again, think parents. This is just the best thing I can come up with. Where finally, she says, she wins me over and I've decided not to kill them that day. And so at some moment you have an encounter with your children and say, please sit down here. And let me share with you, the only reason you're still breathing is because of her. Otherwise, you'd be gone from the planet. I would dispossess you. I would return you to Walmart because I kept the receipt. <clears throat> Verse 18, then Moses said, watch this. I pray, show me your glory. See, we all say amen when we read that. But I never noticed until this week where it fell. And I was reading through someone asking me about the complexity of, I will have mercy upon whom I have mercy. I will have compassion upon who I, you know, too bad for the rest of you. You get whatever. And the Lord gave me a little glimpse. Now, I wouldn't have been able to get this if I hadn't been living in the shadow of John 17. You can go online and watch it. It's still there at New Hope website from a devotion. John 17 is the prayer Jesus prayed. We're not going to turn to it today. I'm just going to give you an oversight. In that chapter, he uses the word glory or glorify seven times. In that chapter, he uses the the word father without a definite article because he's praying. The whole chapter is a prayer. And in that prayer, there's some incredibly overlapping matrix of language that seems like, okay, what is he doing here? Where they're facing the complexity. Watch, just chapters before, Jesus had said, I'm going here, I'm going to die. Peter says, no way. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And he steps up there in the moment. In the next chapter, he would step minutes. He would step out and go be arrested in the garden in John chapter 17. They're facing the overwhelming complexity of the cross. They don't get it. They don't understand it. And in the midst of that, Jesus lifts his hands in soul bearing and he says, Father, let them see my glory, yours and me, mine and you, so that they may be brought into it, because only them experiencing glory at this moment will sustain them through the cross to the other side and let them know what that's about. What, what, is, what is glory? What is glory? 
It's the radiant essence and presence of God that we can't quite nail down. There's not a final description of it in all the Bible, whether it's Hebrew, Greek, or Aramaic occurrences. I love studying this stuff. It is that penetrating, immeasurable, can't-quite-quantify presence of God that is there, creeping, penetrating, oozing. Whether it's a cloud, a light, whatever it does to get to you, the presence of God is there. See, back to what I was saying from the keyboard, we get that when we worship. So here's the magic. When you're going crazy, I don't care. Find your Superman phone booth by yourself, close the door, and, be, and begin. T- you don't have to worry. Lord, I don't need to be afraid. But joy comes in the morning. Watch what happens here. Moses, go on with those people. I'm not going with you, Father. That, that can't be. That, because if you read what precedes it and what comes behind it, Moses says this. If, if that's the case, you are not the God I believed you to be. And I, I don't know what to do here because I know you to be something other than these words. They don't make sense. I, I, I don't understand that. Well, okay, I'm going to go with you, but, but <clears throat> here's what I'm not going to do and here's what I am going to do. Why at verse 18 does he suddenly say outside of the context? There's nothing working up to this. It's right out of nowhere. Show me your glory. Why? Because he had already experienced it just earlier on the mountain. And in the midst of life complexity, where we can't reason and we can't make sense of the purposes of God, the complexities of life, listen to me. It's as if Moses says, just stop. Can we have a moment here? Because right now I need your presence more than I need to hear what you're saying because it's only your presence that's going to help me make sense of what you're saying beyond the limits of my mind. Oh, Jesus. And God says, verse 19, no, we're not done talking about what I was talking about. That is not what it said. He said, I, I, I'm gonna, I, I will do that. Watch what he says. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be, let me go ahead and stick it in, merciful to whom I will show mercy, gracious, and show compassion on whom I will show compassion. Now, we've studied around here that mercy is the force of God refusing to join us in our opinion about ourselves. That's the New Testament 74 or 5 times. So if we want to say, what if what God is saying here, watch, listen to me, look, 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 look. He says, yeah, I'm going to do that. And what's going to happen is suddenly... You will have a sense of clarity in all things that will make, make perfect sense on a cerebral and cognitive level. It does not say that. It does not. It says, I'm going to show you my glory. And the primary impression you're going to come away with above all of the complexities of life because, see, you're going to step out of this glory moment and you're going to step back into a world that is still, according to Romans 8, listen, all creation groans, I groan, the Holy Spirit groans, and it says there's, there'll be, there'll be a, a nakedness, peril, death, sword, famine, height, depth, principalities, and power. You're going to step right back to facing that. Watch. But he says, when you step away from my presence, what you're going to know, what does it say there? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to show you my glory 
and make my goodness pass before you. See, you need these moments of worship. It's why we're coming into year, what, 17 here? Together, year 30 or so as a church. But there's a fresh bubbling up in me to say this is a house of worship. It's a house of God's glory. It's a house where when people walk in, whether the sermon is whatever it is or isn't, and it will be because I love God's word and study it. You should know that by now. But it's going to be a place that where when we begin to sing the song of the Lord, God is enthroned on the presence of his people. That throne is a throne of grace that reaches out and begins to penetrate rooms of our heart and aspects where we feel cut off and where life doesn't make sense. And as it penetrates our heart, the goal is not an increased cognition or understanding of the complexities of life. The goal is to be penetrated through by the presence of God that he says, watch what happens. Watch what happens right here. I'm just going to give you the last two things, two or three things. The first impression is number one. We're going to walk away with, okay, He's still good. How many are grateful to walk away from the moment and step into the moment and say, God, thank you for hitting that recharge button because I needed to know above all else where I can't make sense of of where this and that and, and why of that. I know above anything and everything you are good and I know it here more than I know it here. We step away from the purpose and presence as he, he would use the word glory in this same context. Oh, I'm trying to cut to chase, and when I do that, it gets longer, but I'm going to hang with me. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18. Read the whole chapter. It is about Exodus where we're reading. It's about that. Now watch what he says. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. How many know we know the Lord is enthroned on the presence of his people? I keep trying to get us there every week. But we all with unveiled face, there's a reason he uses that word, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. This this sort of uh, reflection we can't quite get are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Here's two or three things you need to know. That when I pass through the presence of the Lord, I will see beyond my sight. That doesn't make sense. I get that. I will see beyond my sight. I will have a a confidence in the goodness of the Lord just beyond the limitations of the complexities that surround me. Number two, I will know beyond my comprehension. What? God is good. Two more things happen here. As you continue to read on into the 34th chapter. Number one, an encounter with glory is... When they come away from this moment, God says, okay, go that way. Everybody say with it, say this. An encounter with glory lets me know there's still a path forward where I didn't see one a moment ago. God says, we're good. I'm good. We have some things to work out, but we're still going that way. And I'm going with you. Beloved, hey, somebody here this morning needs to walk out of this house of worship where you walked in and saying, God, there's this, there's that, the job, the finance, the relationship, the addiction, the pain, my failure, all of that. I can't make sense of it. It keeps, so I, I butt my head into it. I've done this. And why would you allow that? I can't believe you're the God I believed you to be. And by the way, you've heard people say, don't ever say that out loud. God can handle it. Moses said it. Habakkuk said it even more pointedly. Habakkuk said it, said You've lost your mind. And God handled that just fine. 
How many know he's been touched by the feelings of our infirmities and the weaknesses of our flesh? The place you want to bring the heart of God, even if your spouse can't handle it, God can. Go dump right on him and say, Lord, I can't, be- I, I, it just doesn't, I can't believe you're the God that you said you were if this is what's going to happen. And, and Moses said, we need a moment here. Give me a hug. And God says, come here, son. Let me just rub off on you a little bit. See, Moses, verse 34, said he came down off the mountain and he was shining or something. And he said, okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to go with you. Father, I got one, something else to say, but listen, this is a prayer. Father, someone here needs to know there's still a path forward. They walked in here convinced there's not one. Amen. This sermon won't fix it. Logic won't fix it. There's no mental aha, but there's something, the penetrating presence of God that they've been brought into. You don't have to worry. Don't you be afraid. My God is always faithful. Troubles, they won't last always. Somebody needs to know that. Let me tell you the second thing that happens. You get down in chapter 34 around verse 28 and 29. And it says Moses comes down off the mountain. God says get, get, get two new tablets. Why? Because he had just busted the ones two chapters before. Get two new tablets and we're going to write it on it. When he comes down. Amanda, see if you can get verse 28 and 29 up for me, please. Uh, I, I didn't have it because I sent them to you. Literally, they're written here in hen scratches. Because between getting out of my car and walking to the platform, as I was praying, Father, I need to see this. And it moved me to tears. And here it is. Let me see if we can get that. Exodus 34, verses 28 and 29. By the way, Amanda is awesome. She just does stuff on the fly. Amen. She's like God, instant in season and out, as long as the computer works, okay? Um, So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. While I've, I've imposed this merit, this parenting motif, <clears throat> anybody can identify with that? It usually comes out something like this to each other. I'm tapping my foot. You can't see it. I don't even want to eat. Okay, here it is right there. Moses up on the hill. He doesn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. This is Tom's version of the Bible. You need to pray. I never write that, okay? And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. How many, everybody say the word of God. Okay, praise God. And it came about when Moses was coming down from the Mount, Mount Sinai, open parentheses, and the two tablets of the, what does that say? Here it is. <laughs> An encounter with glory transforms the written word to my testimony. Look at those words. Moses says, why why do you think Revelation chapter 12 says, listen to me, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Let me borrow your Bible, baby. How many so thankful you can be facing the complexities of life? You're looking at that and it's static words as if you're a 10th grader reading one of the classics. You're reading words, but it's not sinking in. You're just reading through so you can go to the teacher and say, I read that. 
Well, what did it say? I don't know. It just was all there. And you're staring at those words in the face of the complexities of life. Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not height or depth and the principalities of power. And I'm reading that, I'm reading that, and I'm reading that. And all of a sudden in that moment where you say, show us your glory, show me your glory. Wonder and surrender, he fall down. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Let every burning heart be holy ground. We step away from that moment, and all of a sudden, the word of the Lord is no longer those static words of incomprehensibility. They leap off the tablets of stone and somehow in sort of some sort of mystical fashion, it says they're written on my heart. And I step away, listen to me, beloved, not with a greater sense of cognitive clarity, but I step away with a sense that the word of God is my testimony. There is still a path forward. And wherever that path will take me, I have just been refreshed by two things. God is good, and he said he will go with me. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.